Are you interested in leadership? Welcome to the Menzies Leadership Forum podcast. Tune in for insights and observations about leadership, the challenges and blind spots, attributes and values that you need to lead now and in the future. I'm Liz Gillies, Menzies Foundation CEO and your host today. Let's get started. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to introduce Dr. Ariella Helfgott to the Menzies Leadership Forum. Ariella is a Director of Collaborative Futures, a network member of Collaboration for Impact, an adjunct at Torrens, the Torrens Resilience Institution, and a research fellow at University at Adelaide University. Ariel has recently returned to Australia, and I'd like to start the conversation this afternoon, Ariella, by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, your work, and what's brought you back to Australia. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very honoured to be here. My entire professional career has been dedicated to strategic collaborative approaches for addressing major societal challenges and really diverse ones in diverse contexts from peace building in fragile states to sustainable development and poverty alleviation, environmental protection, biodiversity conservation, climate change and community resilience to natural hazards, energy transition, uh, sustainable and equitable water, food and energy systems, social inclusion, access to healthcare, education and jobs. And the collaborative nature of my work has often meant that I've held multiple affiliations across academic, government, non-government and private sectors. I've been a strategic analyst for the Australian Department of Defence. I was a senior research fellow in the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford for 11 years. I've been a senior research fellow at the Universities of Wageningen and Adelaide and an assistant professor of sustainable development at Utrecht University. I spent two and a half years as a member of the Shell Scenario team based in the Netherlands. I've been capability development and consulting lead for collaboration for impact here in Australia. And yeah, I'm also running an organisation dedicated to building systems thinking and futures literacy that's called Collaborative Futures. I moved back to Australia around a year ago. And since then, I've been focused on the resilience of Australian society to a range of challenges that we're facing as a nation in the coming decades from threats to democracy, growing economic inequalities, precarious labour and unemployment, social fragmentation, political polarisation, climate change and energy transition, water um, and food security, with a particular focus on the community level, which includes community resilience to bushfires and COVID and all of that in the context of all the other things I just mentioned and the pre-existing inequality. So, so Ariella, we were lucky enough to come together around our shared interest in understanding how to support communities, first in the context of the bushfires and then following on very closely the implications of the pandemic. Uh, and the I was very taken by your work and the deep thinking that you've given to the role of to community resilience, its fundamental importance and the role of citizen leaders. You've written an excellent one, I'm sure, an excellent paper around that. Can you just discuss the sort of more contemporary thinking about what community resilience is and what the role of citizen leaders are and why that's so fundamental in the context that we find ourselves in and the challenges of today? Yeah, sorry about that. So, I mean, we can't actually talk about resilience without talking about resilience of what to what, from whose perspective and over what time frame and changes that impact different stakeholders, impact them differently and what constitutes improvement or detriment depends on, on whose perspective and who you're talking to and 
And that's something I've written extensively about. But for now, I'll just say that you know, resilience is normative and community resilience or the ability of a community to cope with, recover from, adapt and possibly benefit as a result of a disturbance is underpinned by a range of things that take place both within the community but also beyond the level of the community itself and depends on the social, economic, political and environmental systems that that community is is embedded in. So social capital and connectivity within the community is important and so is social capital and connectivity outside the community which allows the community to leverage the resources it needs during a crisis. The quality of governance, economic diversification, learning and adaptive capacity, health, its geographic location and local natural environment, they all exist within these nested systems. I think the first part of 2020 really saw Australian society and communities across the country subjected to just an unprecedented range of social, economic and environmental challenges that meant that almost every dimension of Australian service provision from emergency services like firefighters to healthcare providers to education providers and and parents all had to face situations in which they could be or were stretched past the limits of their capacity to meet the needs of Australian communities and that that led to a rapid reassessment of of what was needed and of the role of community resilience in in our ability to cope with the things that we're facing and highlighted two sides of the story that on one hand, everybody suddenly became more aware of the fundamental importance of strong public services. And on the other hand, of the need to build community capacity to cope with disturbance and that those two things actually go hand in hand and that both are essential for an effective response. Basically, because if you have strong top-down public service provision without community involvement, it can disempower communities and lead to poor social outcomes and dependence. But on the other hand, weakening public services and deferring responsibility to communities to fend for themselves leaves our entire society vulnerable without the capabilities that come from higher levels of coordination and resource pooling, which creates avoidable disasters, like a community can't afford a water bomber by itself. You know, and equally coordinated public action can save the public service a fortune, Australians personally staying home so that hospitals are not overstretched to save billions of dollars. And I've seen an estimate that it's saved us far more than has been invested in the economic stimulus packages. And the main form of leadership which brought has brought communities through the recent bushfires has been local citizen leadership. So I think we've seen a dynamic interplay between the role of the public and the role of the public service and that we need both to be strong in order for either to function effectively. So Ariella, the, the purpose of the project that Menzies Foundation and you and Collaboration for Impact are collaborating around is an insight or a deep dive into the sort of citizen leadership and community resilience that is emerging in those communities affected by bushfires and also COVID. Can you just tell us a little bit about the project that we've developed together, the sort of communities that we're working with and the approach that we're taking in order, as I said, to get an insight to the sorts of things that you're talking about in, in the Australian context? Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's a first step. We have five really diverse communities. So we're looking at Kangaroo Island, East Gippsland, Mallacoota, the Beechworth area and Burnie in Tasmania. And the reason that we've chosen those communities 
is because they've all been affected by either or both bushfires or COVID significantly recently. And they've, they have very different forms of community organisation, citizen leadership and community resilience in response because of their different conditions. So Canberra Island has a huge amount of emergent community organising and citizen leadership that in response. It's quite, it's quite diverse and certainly not just centrally organised, whereas Malakuta has set up a, a community-owned association with more than a 1,000 members and they are channelling external funds through that association and controlling their recovery process. East Gippsland has very strong Indigenous leadership and uh, has actually their leadership in East Gippsland went beyond uh, a collective impact approach that Collaboration for Impact was going to run at some point as their leadership has actually taken primacy over an external collective impact approach. Whereas in Burnie, there's a very strong collective impact project that's been taking place there for a long time called Burnie Works. And the backbone team that's part of that actually coordinated Bernie's response when they became a COVID hotspot. And then finally, the Beechworth area is interesting because the community there has had a grassroots representative democracy movement and they've actually elected an independent in two elections because of a movement deciding we'd like to vote for people that really represent our needs rather than voting based on group identity. And that movement uh, and the the culture and connectivity it's created within that community has affected the way that it's responded to the recent bushfires. So they all these communities all look very different. There's very diverse forms of leadership that have shown up in each place, uh, but in all cases, citizen leadership's been a crucial component of the response to these challenges. And one of the really fascinating and I think really um, interesting aspects of the project is the power of the narrative and the sort of methodology that you're using in order to explore and more deeply understand these models. Talk a little bit about narratives being a recurrent theme in many of our conversations, Ariella, and you've managed, in addition to those, building a network of those communities, which is just so excitingly representative of different ways communities have responded in the context and circumstances they find themselves. Tell us a little bit about the power of narrative and why that's such a potent tool in understanding and deepening our understanding of how to support other communities to build their own resilience and leadership capability. I mean, one of the principles of this project has been that um, communities need to control their own narrative, um, you know, and that's, that's founded in the, the approach to resilience that we're taking in this project. But also um, we want to know how, how communities identify their own leaders, how citizen leaders show up in each context you know, and what, what leadership means in, in local terms, what are the types of values and qualities each community is looking for in leaders so that we can understand what's really being called for what types of leadership are we really looking for to steward us through very uncertain times and how can we support those things? So because we want communities to control the narrative, what we're actually doing is training community members in each of the five communities I mentioned in digital storytelling and um, narrative elicitation mm -hmm. techniques. And community members are collecting stories from other community members. So they'll do all the gathering. And then we're also facilitating a shared sense-making process so they're also the ones that that do the sense-making from all of the narratives that have been generated so that they can see 
what are the patterns that we're that we're noticing in our communities what's what insights are we gaining and what do we want to do about this so within this project the role that we're playing is just to enable all of that to happen and then to ultimately help each community to determine what's the narrative that they want for themselves for their own future you know and how does that relate to their own resilience so that they get to, to define what constitutes positive change on their own terms so one of the aspirations of the project i mean as i said we're doing this deep dive and connecting with these five communities but one of the aspirations of this project is to understand how we leverage that insight into you know a more a broader based better opportunity for any numbers of communities to get insight into how to build their own resilience and capability i very much liked your point before about how this is the first step have you have you got any thoughts about how we might take this first step and what a systemic response or a systemic um, positioning in regard to this sort of opportunity might be? Yes, and there's, there's quite a lot of dimensions to that answer. I mean, I really think at a very high level, these stories that are being collected, they're, they're powerful, real stories, real Australian lives and very inspiring visions of what leadership can look like that together can contribute to to a national level discourse about what types of leadership we're looking for and we want to support in this country in the coming decades. I think that that can that has implications for the ways that we support, train, and develop leaders. I think we're already seeing a shift away from more executive management style approaches to leadership development training that reflect the changes in the types of things that are already coming out of these stories in terms of the people that are that have shown up as citizen leaders in the communities are not necessarily people with positional power or authority but they're people with the ability to to connect people to each other and to get things done you know and they might not always be very very visible um so all kinds of things about the way that we view leadership could could change as a result of this project. There's a move away from yeah, seeing leadership as positional and as a role that people have like to be a leader to leadership being just an action that that anybody can do from any position within the system, you know, and that... So just in terms of that then, when you... And it lands itself, the reason I ask that question is when you look and you think across the breadth of your work, Ariella, and the things that you've seen in both, you know, you have an extraordinary perspective in a global context, in the developing world, in the, in the, you know, in sophisticated global context, you've observed and you've seen this work. What's your sense of where leadership is in a more general sense? Where do you see the leadership discourse currently is? I think that there's actually almost a backlash against the concept of leadership in a lot of corners where people see leadership as being equated with a notion of old power and positional authority and one of the terms that one of my interviewees mentioned was was the type of stale pale male that has come to power in times of of relative stability are these the right people is leadership what we really need and um and in response to that, there is an entirely different vision of leadership that's being presented. One that is that's much more, as I mentioned, sort of action orientated. Like I want a word that means like separating leadership from the notion of just of just positional power and and positional authority to be something that anybody can do. That's more not about being the person up the front that's providing the vision, and then all the troops have to follow, 
but rather somebody that has to work together with everybody on the ground to co-create shared meaning and ideas and a vision that everybody can get behind and then to create the types of collaborative relationships that allow people to create what they need when they need it in response to the unpredictable circumstances that they find themselves in. So Ariella, when you think it's, I mean, that's a very, you know, that's, I mean, there's no doubt leadership is highly contested. And as you say, in so much of the leadership work, including in this work, the sort of hero out the front leader isn't necessarily able to build the network and influence relationships required to help whole communities galvanise and move forward when challenged. What sort of leadership attributes that you see that allow for this more collaborative notion of leadership, this less authoritarian, less heroic model of leadership that you're seeing manifesting in the work? What sort of qualities do we need to build in ourselves to be leaders in that sense, do you think? So I'm hearing from, from both males and females who have been identified as leaders by their communities or um, in their work and that, that emotional intelligence is required, that really a capability for deep listening so that you can understand what's being called for, what's needed from people, but also to be able to be involved in co-creation. So the skills and the valuing of co-creation, the belief that collaboratively we'll be able to create something together that we wouldn't be able to do alone. Yeah, so an ability to listen, to pick up on signals and patterns, an ability to work collaboratively to create meaning and ideas and purpose and alignment, and also a range of skills that are emotional intelligence, but there are also technical aspects to this that help people to be able to continue to lead in times of extreme uncertainty and change. Obviously, there's an emotional component to that, but I've also been hearing a lot about skills for appreciating systemic interdependencies and for and diverse possible futures and, and um, being able to to roll adaptively in those situations. In just in closing, Ariella, we could talk all day, but just in closing, I, one of the really profound impacts of COVID is this accelerated pivot to the new, to the COVID normal world and the amazing strides that have been made in terms of technological and digital platforms to facilitate and to support new ways of collaboration and coalescence. Um, I, I think in a bizarre sort of way that this project, which is focused on you know, communities in crisis and their response to it, it's almost uh, as we accept that COVID normal is not sorting out the pandemic and moving from it, but living with it. And in the sense that bushfires and these other crises are unfortunately seems to be an indelible part of our future. It does seem to me that this project is, a, is of its moment and of its time, that our new reality really requires us to really deeply understand the sorts of themes that we're exploring in this project, to position ourselves to best cope with the uncertainty and complexity of the world we face. In, have you got any final observations about that as a challenge? And I mean, your belief in, you know, do you, have, do you share that sense of the importance of this work and the implications it has for all of our futures? I really, I really deeply share that sense. I feel like, um, you know, at times like now where high levels of uncertainty seem to be the norm rather than the exception as we go forward, the like traditional approaches to, to managing 
in like zero stock efficiency models of management just are not resilient, you know, and resilience just becomes so much more important in times like these. The types of leadership that we need in resilience are the, are the types of leadership that, that allow communities and societies to, to craft what they need when they need it, even though they previously didn't know they would need it. The types of leadership that empower people to have agency, even though there's, there's so much going on in the context that they can't control, to still feel like they have agency over, over the direction that their communities and societies will take. And um, I think without that, we have the potential for, for a lot of negative social outcomes since I don't think that there are very many people that feel happy about change that's imposed on them and feeling the loss of agency. But if we can have the type of leaders that can, that can work relationally in the ways that we have just been discussing uh, to empower people to take the agency that they can take from whatever positions that they're in in society to create the type of future that they want. That changes what we're going through now from a feeling of, of anxiety to, um, to more of a focus on the feeling of hope and that the uncertainties that we're facing now are actually opportunities for us to, to not be stuck in things that we, that we don't like anymore or that no longer serve us, that we've actually got the opportunity as communities and societies to, to create a better future. So, Aria, I'd just like to thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Similarly to you, the Foundation thinks this is a really important piece of work that will make a significant contribution to the leadership discourse and to, as I said, ironically, to really understanding a future that can be seen as constrained by uncertainty or as finding new ways and mechanisms of working through that to give agency and power to the people who feel buffeted by things beyond their control. And we're just delighted that you're working with us, that you bring the wealth of experience and insight that you do to the work. And we look forward very much to the next conversation with you when we can report out on deeper learnings from the work that we're embarking on together and really think about how we position it to make a real contribution to Australia and its future. So Aria, thank you very much. And I look forward very much to the next conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to speak with you. Thanks, Ariella.